The message tonight is entitled, The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. Now, we've been going through the book of John, and we've, uh, we've just about completed chapter 9. And we saw, or we, we see that the eyes of a person must be given sight. Not only light. You can have plenty of light around you, but if, if, if you're blinded, if your eyes cannot see, it doesn't matter how much light there is, you still can't see. It's still utter darkness. Now, in uh, chapter 9 of, of uh, John's Gospel, according to John, we read about a man who was born with a physical blindness. The man had never been able to see his whole life. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And the answer was, neither this man nor his parents. But it was the works of God. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. When Jesus passed by his way, the life of this man was about to be forever changed. He had, he had never seen the light of day, and the, Lord, and the Lord took notice of this man. And he took a mixture of dirt and a mixture of spittle, saliva, and the Lord, he made clay. And Jesus had not introduced himself to this man before. There's no record that he had ever in, in, introduced himself to this man. He didn't ask him if he would like to be able to see. He didn't ask him uh, if he had faith. He didn't ask him if he believed. He didn't ask him if he had ever uh, had any sin in his life. He didn't make any, any small talk with the man at all. He simply applied the clay to the man's eyes. And he told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Told him to go wash. The man made his way to the water and he washed. He washed the clay out of his eyes. The Bible says that he received his sight. There wasn't a great crowd that gathered around for show and says, ladies and gentlemen, let me have your attention. Let me show you the great miracles of Christ. He simply worked a miracle in this man's life and then Jesus walked away. Because when he came back, people wanted to know, what happened? What happened to you? And he said, this man, they call him Jesus. He healed me. We discovered the controversy over this man receiving his sight on the Sabbath. We know the Pharisees, they were appalled that, that Jesus had touched this man's eyes on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees, they were, they were so irate about it. And they interrogated the, 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 the healed man, and they wanted to know. They wanted to know what was going on. They wanted to know who his parents was, and they wanted to interrogate his parents. Then the healed man again, they interrogated him a second time. And at all costs, these evil men, these Pharisees, they wanted to discredit the miracle that Jesus had performed in his life. A marvelous work of God had been performed in this man's life. Tonight, if you're born again, a marvelous work has been performed in your life. If you were ever made to love Jesus Christ, it's because Jesus Christ gave you that love. 
If you love heaven tonight, it's because God has given you that great desire down in your heart that you might see heaven, your eternal home, one day after a while, very soon, I believe. When the Pharisees saw that they could not change this man's mind, they could not do nothing with this man, they could not convince him that this, that this man named Jesus had done nothing for him, they put him out of the synagogue. The good news is, when Jesus heard that the man had been put out of the synagogue, that Jesus took him in. When, they, when man had put him out, Jesus took him in. Now, here's a story. Look at this, John 9, 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, remember, previously, I said that Jesus had not introduced him to the blind man. The man only knew him by his name. He didn't actually know him. There's no record that he actually knew Jesus, but he heard of a man called Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus is going to reveal himself here momentarily, and Jesus is going to give him a hint here look at this Jesus says or the, or the man says who is he Lord that I may believe in him let me back up and let's, let's get the gist of this Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him he said do you believe in the son of man and the man answered who is he Lord that I may believe in him Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. You see, the man had no idea who this miracle worker was. He, he only knew the miracle had been performed. He only knew that a change had taken place in his sight. Out of nowhere came this glorious miracle. The man didn't earn it. He didn't rise to that point of deserving it but the grace and the love of Christ came upon this man out of nowhere now, up until now he only knew about a man named Jesus he said that he might be a prophet he didn't know when asked he confessed that he did not know if Jesus was a sinner or not. Remember the Pharisee says, this man's a sinner. And the blind man says, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But I can tell you this, that I once was blind, but now I see. You see, the evidence was in that man's sight. He could see what they couldn't see. He knew a miracle had been performed. Many today are walking around with 20-20 vision, but they can't see two inches in front of their face. They're blinded. They're in a darkened world. They can't see. They can't comprehend. They don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have a mind or a heart to discern or to desire God. He knew for certain that this man named Jesus was a healer. Because he had been blind all of his life. 
the spiritual leaders, they were coming, they were coming and often now the man receives more than physical sight. He receives spiritual sight. Now look at this. Verse 38 says, and he said, Lord, I believe. I believe. And it says, and he, and he worshiped him. Now would you like to hear about this man? Wouldn't you like to hear about this man and, and, and see more of the miracles like this happen? Wouldn't you like to see this happen in your family today? Those that are lost and undone without God that you've been praying for and fasting for and, and calling upon God for. Lord, touch them. Give them eyes to see. Open their eyes that they may see your glory. You see, it is a miracle to truly believe. If you believe tonight, a miracle has already been performed in your life. You're on your way to glory. You're on your way to a place of paradise. You're on your way to a place of splendor and eternal bliss. It don't look like it now. You look around the world now and you see darkness and you see turmoil and you see hatefulness and you see riots and you see all this bad stuff and we all call upon God. How long, O oh Lord? How long before you return? But the miracle has truly been given to us and it's a gift of God to believe. So many times, church, I believe we take it for granted that we believe. We wouldn't believe in something if we didn't truly, truly believe in it now, would we? We truly wouldn't. The word is pistuo. That's the Greek word. It's translated into the word believe. It means to intimately trust. If we say we trust, if we say we believe you, Christ we believe you Lord it means that we trust him it means that we put our faith in Jesus Christ it means when times are hard when times are easy when days are bright when days are long and dark we still trust in Jesus it means to, to put into the care of protection of Jesus Christ rest in Christ Rest in knowing that no matter the outcome, no matter how things may look, we have one that cares. We have one who is a protector. And his name is Jesus, and he's our Messiah. And he came for our salvation. The Spirit of God had opened his heart to the truth. He, re he revealed the true identity of this man called Jesus. He says, Lord, I believe. Now, he doesn't cast out those who come to him. He doesn't turn away from those who come to him and ask him to save them. For it is only those whom the Father gives him that will come. That's why the Bible says, whosoever will, let them come. Well, the will comes by way of the Lord. That's the way that we, that we come. It's that Spirit of God that draws us to Him. It's that knock at our heart's door. Oh, what a gift that we've been given. Oftentimes, me included, I walk around feeling a little disappointed because I'm looking at the sky and I'm looking at the, at the, at the storms of life and I say, how long, Lord? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I get a little discouraged 
But I have to understand that we don't need to see great miracles beyond what we've already seen in this life, just believing in my heart. I know I believe, and I'm willing to live by it. I'm willing to die by it. And I know that my, my faith is genuine, and I know that it will endure all of eternity. And I know that it's a gift of God. And I'm glad he, he casts no one away who comes to him. There's no scripture that would support that whatsoever. Whosoever will, let them come and drink of this water of life freely. What a blessing. We have a good God. We have a good Savior. We have a Lord that laid down his life for us and redeemed us. That is, he paid the debt that he didn't owe. He owed it, and we owed a debt we couldn't pay, and he made it right. Thank you, Lord. And so the man had, had, had the right response here. He worshipped him. He recognized him as Lord. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. We need to worship. Church, we need to worship. People, we need to worship. Whether we're in this church or whether we're out and about doing our daily life, God needs to be in every step of the way. When we go to work, when we come home, and when we lay down in, in the bed at night, God is all in all part of it, isn't he? The right and inevitable response to believing in Christ is that we adore him. Is that, we, is that we look upon his glory and we know that we can't begin to imagine the glory and the splendor and the radiance of God. But we serve a God who is powerful. Brother Steve was talking this morning about the omniscience of God. That is, he's all-knowing. God doesn't have to ask us. He already knows. But if we only catch a glimpse of who he is and we see him for who he is and we adore him and we wonder, we're in wonder about him and we worship him in spirit and in truth. Church, that's what we should be doing. Like the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. Paul said, retain the standard of sound words. Retain the standard of sound doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is teaching. That's all it is. It's a fancy word for teaching. So, retain the standard of sound words or doctrine. Today, we, we live in a time when there's great knowledge. There's so much knowledge. The Bible says in the last days there would be a lot of knowledge. I believe we're in the last days, don't you? But we know that knowledge has increased. But man has become more and more and more separated from God. Not because of knowledge, but because he's become prideful. Because he thinks that, that he thinks of himself as higher than, than he should. Paul again exhorts Timothy. He says, guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now let's think upon this just a moment. He says, retain the standard of sound words. That means retain sound teaching, retain sound knowledge, retain sound understanding, and guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. The treasure 
is the Word of God. Guard the Word of God. It's most precious. If you have fine jewelry at home, if you have something that's very expensive, what do you do? You guard it. You lock it away. You, you, you keep it in a safe place where it can't be taken away from you. Of course, we don't want to lock the Word of God away except in our heart. We want it in our hearts. We need to study His Word. Now look at this. 1 Timothy 6.20 says, Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Did you get that? This was way 2,000 years ago. But church, you, you and I can apply this to our lives today. Oh, Timothy. Oh, Daryl. Oh, Marvin. Oh, Kim. Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Now, verse 21 says, which some have professed and thus gone astray from faith. You see that? Grace be with you. Now, Paul's exhortation to Timothy is to guard the true doctrines of the Christian faith. He's saying, listen, Timothy, I'm going to be leaving, and I want you to be sure that you guard, that you guard the treasure. You guard the doctrine. You guard the truth of Christ. He is to avoid worldly and empty talk. Timothy would encounter a great deal of teaching which posed as true knowledge. There are so many books about There are so many ways of understanding the Bible. There are so many ways to get around to learning the truth. When God has written in His Word what the truth is, we need to go to the source, don't we? We don't need to go to the backwaters. We need to go to the head of the spring, don't we? We need to go to the head of the spring, and that's the Word of God. That's, that's what we need to believe. Everything else may be a lie, but God's Word is true. It'll stand for eternity. So Paul realized that some who professed to be follow, followers of Christ had been taken up with these teachings, and they had strayed concerning the faith. Now, we've seen that in our lifetime, hadn't we? I know of preachers that have strayed. They've strayed to the point they don't preach no more. They've strayed their way home. They've strayed their way back out into the world. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to be careful. Guard the treasure because there are false teachers. There, there, there are antichrists that are going to come out among you. They're going to, they're, they're, there's already many in the world today, is what Jesus said. So the Bible warns of false shepherds, and, he, and it predicts that the true shepherd would come and provide God's people with genuine care and right leadership. So the Pharisees claim to be rightful shepherds of the people of Israel. Now, we know that they were blind men leading people astray, don't we? In fact, they were, they were the on, only the latest in a long line of false shepherds in Israel. But Jesus classifies them as false shepherds and gives a contrast between false shepherds and the one true shepherd, which is the Messiah, Christ Jesus. Now we'll get to our scripture. 
John chapter 10, verse 1. It says, truly, truly, this is Jesus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, and who he's talking to here are the Pharisees. And he's talking to the, to, to the others in the crowd that, that, that was listening uh, back in the discourse in chapter 9. So he's talking to all these folks, but he's mainly looking at, at the Pharisees. And he says, truly, truly, guys, listen, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Now, this is very familiar scripture to you. But the imagery here is this. In the regions of Palestine, in the region of Israel, the shepherds would graze. They would, uh, they would graze their flocks in the surrounding countryside, those hillsides there around Jerusalem. They would let them graze freely, but they would always stay with them. The shepherd, wherever uh, the flock was, that's where the shepherd was. He kept watch over them. And he would watch them graze. But in the evening, oftentimes, they would be led back. They wouldn't be driven back, but they'd be led back to the entrance of the fold, which is the sheep's pen, where they would be carefully inspected as they came back into the fold. They would be carefully uh, watched um, and inspected for injury, for any cuts or any, any gashes or, or any thorns that may be in their wool. The shepherd would examine them. He didn't want to turn them back in and them be hurt because what he would do, he would anoint them. He would, he would uh, put salve or, or put some kind of ointment on them to help them heal. Why? Because he loved them. They were valuable. He cherished them. So they, they would inspect them. And if any were to be found sick or injured, the shepherd would, would tend to them right away. Now, now stay with me. So once in the fold, the, the sheep were in the care of the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper, he would be the one that would, that, would, that would be sitting in the doorway. He would be sitting in the doorway, and he would be the one that would, keeping, that would be keeping watch when the shepherd would go rest. The doorkeeper would, would, would keep an eye on them in the, in the night hours. He would become the night watchman. Now, once the sheep were safe and secure inside, only the shepherd that came by and dropped them off were allowed access to the sheepfold. Only that shepherd would be given access. Just anybody couldn't walk in. You had to be the shepherd of those sheep. And it was a communal, a communal uh, pen. It would be uh, various shepherds' sheeps all mixed in together. They would come in here together. Anyone could not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but would climb or come in some other way. The Scriptures here says he is a thief and a robber. Now let's, let's look at verse 2 again. But he who, en who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. The thieves and the robbers, they were, these are the false shepherds. These are those who would come in and be imposters. These are those who would come in to either steal them or to devour them some way. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a wolf, maybe it was a lion, maybe it was a bear, whatever the case may be. Whatever would, would harm them. 
the shepherd would protect them from, from that. So anyone who could not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep that would, that would want to climb in some other way, he's a thief or a robber. And we know that Satan himself is a thief and a robber. We know that he's the father of lies, don't we? So the sheep represents the elect of God's people. You are the sheep. You are the elect. This is the, is the metaphor. You are the metaphor for these sheep, or the sheep are the metaphor for you and myself. We are the sheep of the good shepherd. And he watches over us, and he protects us, and he keeps us. Of the, of the true shepherd, Jesus says, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hears his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So who is the doorkeeper? The doorkeeper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the doorkeeper. And Jesus himself is the door. I hope you're keeping up with all this. I have it written down so I can keep up with it a little better. So now notice something very important here in verse 3. It says, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep of various shepherds in Palestine, as I said, they would be gathered together in this one communal pen. It was a holding pen that would hold them for the night. But in the morning, in the morning, in the morning, the shepherd would come and claim his sheep. He would come and claim them. He didn't have to go in and run them down. He didn't have to go in and rustle them up. All he had to do was speak. And those sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. Maybe a crowd of a hundred sheep and 20 come out from among them for that, from that one shepherd's voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, right? The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. You mean to tell me he names his sheep? Yes, he does. He does. could call them by their name and he could lead them out i can just see uh the shepherd out out uh letting these uh sheep graze and maybe one get down over the hill there and the shepherd's got his eye on him and he's watching him and he just continues to to wander that way the rest of them are this way and this one little sheep wandering that way and he calls out to him. Just calls him by name. And here he comes. He comes running back because he knows that's where his safe place is. He knows that the shepherd is the one who has the staff and rod in his hand to protect him. The picture is that Christ is the good shepherd. And that he alone has the authority. He has all authority to lead out of Israel's fold his own elect sheep. Aren't you glad 
to be an elect sheep? Aren't you glad to be called out from among the rest that's in the pen tonight? Aren't you glad that, that, that you know his voice when he speaks to you? That's why you're here. You're here because you belong to him and you desire to hear his word. You don't want to go hear about Allah. You don't want to go hear about politics. You don't want to go hear about someone else's big ideas. You want to hear what God has to say to you because he is your shepherd and your comfort and your peace and your joy is found in him alone. He is the good shepherd and he has all authority all the authority that he needs to protect us. And because they are his, because we are his, he knows their name. In fact, their names were written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's Book of Life. He knows our names. If we're born again, our name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life way in the beginning, before the world was created. I don't understand it, but that's what the Bible says. And we belong to him. We belong to the Father. And look at this. Verse 4 says, And when, this is Jesus talking still, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Shepherds were the sole source of provision for the sheep. The shepherd was the sole protector for the sheep. The shepherd was the sole control for the sheep. Wherever the, the lamb or wherever the, the, uh, the um, uh, shepherd went, the sheep went as well. And I'm going kind of slow with this because I want, I want us to get it. I want us to, to picture our own condition. God moves slowly because I'm not so fast to learn sometimes. Lord, when I, when, I, when I get in my own thinking and I wander down over the hill there, would you, would, you, would you pause just a minute and call out to me and get me to head back up this way to be safely close to you? If the flock was going to stay out in the pasture all night, the Scriptures teaches us that the shepherd would keep watch all night long. He wouldn't go to sleep on the job. He wouldn't lay down and say, well, you know, I'll just let them just kind of wander off and, and uh, if they get in a mess, they just get in a mess. I'm getting tired. That's not what a good shepherd would do. The shepherd, he would keep watch all night with a staff and rod close by to protect them from thieves and from wild animals. Now picture this. When a shepherd in Palestine received his flock, he would go out ahead of them to ensure that the passageway was clear. He didn't just lead them down any old path. He didn't just take them any old direction. But he went out ahead to ensure that the passageway is free of harm. It's free of anything that would cause harm. You know something? I've got a feeling that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us already. He knows what death is. He's already experienced this thing called death. He's been there and done that. And he's come back to life. And he's rose. He has risen from the grave. And he's ascended to the right hand of God. Is that the truth? It's what the Bible says. It's 
So he's gone out ahead of us to ensure that the passageway is safe. He's ensured that it's passable. That's good news, ain't it? Would you say amen for me? Amen. I'm glad to know that just on the other side of this life, there's a, there, there's a, safe, there's a safe route home. There's a safe way home. The passageway to green pastures, my friend, tonight is certain. The passageway is safe. The passageway is absolute. And so it is in your salvation. If you're born again, you're absolutely safe because Christ says you are. He says, not one will be plucked from my hand. He says, what God has given me, what the Father has given me is safe. As the psalmist says, so we too can be assured that the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me to lie down. That means he makes me to rest. The green pastures would, would, would suggest that all the provisions that we need, he gives us that. He leads us beside the still waters. That means it's peaceful. You know, that's something we need in this life, isn't it? We need some peace in this life. There's so much uh, a turbulence, so much that's, that's not at peace. But if we have Christ, don't let nothing steal your joy. Don't let nothing steal your peace. Don't let nothing steal your comfort. The Holy Spirit's our comforter, right? So the sheep respond to no other voice but the voice of their own shepherd. In fact, Jesus says in this next verse, He says, A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, when I read this, this seems awfully certain to me. A stranger, it doesn't say they may not follow, but it says a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. In ancient Israel, sheep were led. They were, they were not driven like cattle are driven today with the cowboys and the horses that, that go out and they, and they drive the cattle. That's not how they did it in ancient Israel. They would go out ahead. The shepherd would go out ahead with them. And where the shepherd went, the sheep would follow. And the shepherd was not only their leader, but he was a watchman. And he was a protector, as I said earlier. And if one sheep began to stray, the shepherd would call into him by name. One of these days, he's going to call us by name, church. He knows your name. As I said earlier, your name has been written. And he's going to call your name. The sheep knew his voice. And they followed him, but no one else would they follow. If, we, if we're not careful, we'll be listening to the wrong voice. The Bible tells us to try the spirits to see if they're of God. We need to be careful what we listen to. We need to be careful what we allow our minds and our hearts to be entertained by. A sheep can distinguish between shepherds. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd is also a protector. A sheep does not abandon the true shepherd to follow some false shepherd. And there are many of those, by the way. Likewise, true believers will not abandon Christ. They will not abandon the truth. Will the good shepherd to follow a lie of false shepherds? 
Now, many started down the path of supposedly believing in Christ, and, we, and, and we'll see this as we get closer to the crucifixion. When the going got hard, when the going got tough, those that weren't so tough got going the other direction. Separated those who truly believed from those who truly didn't believe. Look at this. Matthew 24, 24 says, For, for false Christ and false prophets will arise. And will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, if possible, if possible, even the elect. But it's not possible. It's not possible to mislead the elect. Because the Bible says that we know His voice. We hear His voice. And another voice we won't follow. Another voice we won't listen to. In regards to those who abandoned the faith, John says, they went out from us, but they were not of, they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would not, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. That's why it it, it troubles me. If I or someone else determines someone else, you know, determine someone else a born-again believer, because I don't know, only that person and his relationship with Christ, only he knows. There were imposters among them, and they didn't know. They didn't know who they were. You know, Judas, he was the treasurer. You wouldn't put a treasurer in charge if you didn't trust him, if you didn't think he was legitimate. So you hand him the purse, he's somebody you trust. So we see here that the proving ground that we're truly his sheep is that we, we will never finally and completely turn away from Jesus Christ. We may wonder, we may stray some, but we will never completely turn away, not finally. Any that do only prove that neither their faith nor their salvation was ever authentic. It never was genuine in the first place. So in a footnote, Jesus or John writes here, he says, this figure of speech Jesus spoke to them but they, were not under, uh, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. See, they just weren't getting it. They weren't understanding it. Well, let's go on. Verse 7 says, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now this is bold and this is, this is no parsing of words. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am. I am. The door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, since the Pharisees had failed to understand, Jesus further explains that not only is he figuratively the shepherd of his sheep, but he is, he is also figuratively the door of the sheep fold or the or the sheep pen jesus is the door remember jesus said i am the door i am the way no man comes into the father but by me 
It is through Jesus that we must pass through to find safety. It is through Jesus that the sheep comes into the fold. Jesus is still the way. It is through Jesus that the sheep go out to the lush green pasture of his blessing. It is by and through Jesus that lost sinners can approach the Father in assurance, an absolute assurance, and appropriate and appropriate the salvation that he gives. It is Jesus alone who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. In fact, no one approaches the Father but through Jesus. So many false shepherds, many wicked kings, many corrupt priests, many false prophets had come. But Jesus likens them unto thieves and robbers. But the true shepherd didn't hear them, or, or but the true sheep did not hear them. Now verse 9 is one of those delightful verses, which is simple enough, yet it can never be exhausted, even by the most learned scholars. Look at this. Jesus expresses again here in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The fact that he is the door, my friend, tells us that it is through him that salvation is found. Those, those who come to, come to him, they find access to life and sustenance. He gives us all that we need. The promise is, if anyone enters through him, he will be saved. This is the message that the lost world needs to hear. Surrender your life to Christ while there's time. Because there's heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. So we need to be ready. We need to keep our lamps trip, tr trimmed and burning, don't we? We need to keep oil in the lamp too, by the way, don't we? We need to keep looking, keep it burning on, as the, as, as the song says. Need to be saved from what? As I said, sin and hell. But Christ's sheep will experience God's love. They experience forgiveness. They experience salvation. They will, will uh, go in and out freely. I like that, don't you? I don't like being a slave. I like being free in the Lord Jesus Christ, freely to go in and out of, of his fold, go out and graze and come in. And you know, by the way, if you think about New Jerusalem, the Bible says that the gates of that city are never closed. The gates of that city remain open for all of eternity. Now, when I say for all of eternity, that means an eternity without end. The gates are forever open wide. And we can enter, enter through those gates into the city, and we can enter outside of the city and go over the new earth. That's the freedom that we're going to have. And all of the light is going to come from that glorious city. There won't be a sun in the sky. There will be a, a sun in the city. His name is Jesus. He'll be the light of the city. But I like the idea of being able to go in and out freely into New Jerusalem and into the new earth. I believe that new earth's going to be beautiful, don't you? 
you see the cursed earth the way it is today. You know, we have earthquakes, we have tornadoes, we have destruction, we have forest fires. The west coast is burning up over there. But in this new earth, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. I believe it'll be paradise. The Bible teaches that we'll go in and out freely, free from any harm or danger, and we'll find satisfaction, satisfying pasture as the Lord feeds us in His new kingdom. Now, here's my last verse, and I'll be done. He says this. He says, the thief comes. Now, this is, this is a warning to us today while we're still here. In this amount of time that we have left, let's keep this in mind. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. You see, there's an utter contrast here between the thief who steals and kills and our Lord and Savior Jesus who says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. To me, there's nothing no more sad in the world than to go to a cemetery and think about all those people that may not have been ready to meet Christ. But there won't be any cemeteries in this new earth, in this new place that we're going. But in utter contrast to the thieving Pharisees, like their father the devil, they came only to kill and destroy. They came to destroy the church. They want to destroy the church. The church, I believe the church is really going to be under attack as we, as we continue on towards, towards the end of time in this world. I believe it's going to become more and more under attack. It's already becoming more and more empty, but it's going to, be, it's going to become more and more under attack. You preach the gospel, it's going to cost you. It may cost you your head uh, in time. There may be many who die a martyr's death because they wouldn't stop telling the truth. They wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. But the good shepherd, Jesus, the Messiah, he came that they may have spiritual and eternal life and have it abundantly. Many today, many of the false prophets, many of the false teachers today, they, they, they twist those scriptures and they make people believe that this abundance that he's talking about are worldly gain, worldly treasures. Now, we know that's not the truth, but we know that to be what they're teaching Give money, and you're going, to be, you're, you're going to be blessed in so many ways. And it's always monetarily. But let me ask you, what could ever compare to the gift of eternal life? There's nothing this world has to offer that is greater than the gift of eternal life. And not only eternal life, but eternal life in a place of paradise. And not only a place of paradise, but in a place of perfect peace and where God himself is and we have full access to him in and out of the city whenever we please Jesus said in my house in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself isn't that wonderful I never get tired of those old scriptures and I know you don't either it's good to be reminded of them isn't it He said, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may, you may be also. That's a promise. What our shepherd, our Lord and shepherd gives 
far exceeds all of our expectations. I believe heaven's going to be a glorious place, but I believe it's going to far exceed anything that I could ever imagine. But He gives gifts that are indescribable. And we'll have to wait to get there to see it all, won't we? We certainly will. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for your attention.